Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Man, hey, good morning, Mercy family. Good morning, man. If you are new with us, my name's Spence. I serve as the lead pastor here at Mercy Church. And uh, like you've probably already observed, things are going to be a little bit different for us today. Uh, Like I told you last weekend, today is Compassion Sunday here at Mercy Church. Uh, I'm so excited about it. Listen, here's why. Our mission as a church is to make disciples of Jesus, people that follow Jesus, who love God, love each other, and love our world. And so what we're always trying to do is to help one another take next steps in those areas. And today is just this very clear, sort of ready-made next step for us in being followers of Jesus who love our world. Um, Compassion International, the organization that you're gonna hear a good bit about today, it's about a 60-year-old ministry with a very simple, clear mission, and that's to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. Here's how they do it. That's why I love them so much. They create partnerships with local churches in like poverty-stricken communities all around the world, and what they'll do is establish an after-school program there where kids can get education, food, basic health care, and where they are trained in the gospel by the pastors and church leaders there. Uh, and y'all, because kids in these communities have so little, I mean, these programs fill up the day that they open up. And the cool part of it is um, every child, the way that they get into the program is that they are sponsored by a family or individual from somewhere else around the world. And that's where the genius of the ministry is. It's not just, I'm gonna stand up here today and tell you, hey, you should give some money to something. No, listen, what I hope to tell you instead is to invite you into a real relationship that this ministry sets up to facilitate between you and the child that you're going to sponsor at some point. We'll get into that more later, but I want to just say up front how I really do believe in this. Um, The Shelton family has sponsored a child for the past several years and are going to sponsor a second child today as we get into this. And now the last reason I'm excited about it and I want to get into God's word, listen, Every child that we sponsor today lives in Kenya. And that's very intentional for us because if you're, if you're new to us, let me tell you, we as a church are planting a church in Kenya in just a couple of months from now. All right. In fact, I know y'all can get, there's a couple people that are whooping here. Maybe Northeast is actually cheering and excited about church planting. We are excited <laughs> to plant a church in Kenya in just a couple of months. That's right. That's right. And so, y'all, I'm just, I'm pumped for this moment because this, y'all, is a wonderful connection where we're making a beautiful reputation for this church that we're planting, that as they launch, we're saying, hey, they are there to bring the love of Christ holistically to the community. They're going into Nairobi and then to, as they say, from Nairobi to the ends of the earth. 
Uh, and also, we already have um, trips that we're lining up, short-term trips to go and visit our church plant. And when you go, um, we're working on it so you'll have the opportunity to visit, visit uh, the child that you sponsor. Um, in fact, in a few minutes, I'm going to introduce you to a Kenyan woman who grew up in Compassion's program, knows Nairobi really well. Um, and she even went to the University of Nairobi, which is right next door to where we're looking to plant uh, with Alan and the team. So here's what I want to do first. What I want to do first is I want you to get your Bible out to 2 Corinthians 8, and I want to show you why, the why, why caring for the poor, specifically for fellow churches, because that's what we're doing through this. We're coming alongside of a fellow church across the world, fellow churches in poverty. Why doing that is not a burden on us, but is instead a gift that God has given to us. Why giving away our ourselves, our money, our time to those who are financially impoverished, that it's actually that giving away is a almost like a programmed code that the creator has put into our souls. And when we tap into that and as we give, it unlocks the power of the gospel to change our lives. Because y'all, so often we hear things like, here's the sad face of a poor kid and you drink $14 coffee, you greedy American. So give to sad Sam over here. Now, it's absurd, y'all. Look, I know that most of us, by the world standards, are wealthy, okay? Uh, even if you wake up to Folgers in your cup and spam on your plate, okay? Still, and if you don't know what spam is, text your parents after the service, okay? And it's gross, but you'll learn, all right? And that's good for you. Um, but look, to say that, to say that caring for the poor is just the duty of the rich, y'all, that is guilt-motivated behavior, and it won't really change you. It might like tweak your motivations, or excuse me, tweak your behaviors for a little while because you want to conform because you feel a little bit guilty, so you want to conform. But it won't actually change your heart and eventually you'll stop the behavior or you'll change into like a bitter person as a result of it. It's because you weren't programmed to be changed by guilt and fear. You were programmed to be changed by love the love of God for you. And that's what we're gonna see as we unlock these scriptures today. Listen, when you know the joy of the gospel, this is my whole point today. When you know the joy of the gospel, releasing others from poverty becomes a privilege, not a duty. It becomes a privilege. So 2 Corinthians 8, one through nine, we're gonna see that on display. Here's a situation, the church in Jerusalem is in poverty, they had nothing. So the Apostle Paul's going around and he's taking up a collection from other churches for a church in need. By the time he writes to the Corinthians, he's in an area called Macedonia, think like Northern Greece, and he's seen a couple of churches, Philippi and Thessalonica, which you flip through your New Testament, you'll start to see those names. And he's so inspired by what these Northern Greek churches are doing that he's writing to the Corinthians and say, listen, you gotta hear about this in hopes that you'll be encouraged in terms of what's going on in your heart when you think about giving. Because as I walk you through this, my hope is that you'll see the gospel afresh as you who were in poverty. God has brought you in and made you rich, given you an abundance, not rich in dollars, but in grace. And grace, and then through this text, see why it's a great privilege, a privilege to get to be a part of releasing others from poverty in the name of Christ. And then we'll finish with how it plays out. Verse 1, 2 Corinthians 8. We want you to know, brothers, 
about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, y'all, if you're newer to our church, this is what we love to do, just kind of walk through the verses in a passage of scripture, or even a whole book. You know, we've been in Exodus walking through that, and what we're doing today is really just applying Exodus to today, but coming at it from 2 Corinthians. And as we walk through this, look, he says a severe test of affliction. They're in the start in verse 2. These young churches were being severely persecuted for believing the gospel and for preaching it. It's not an easy time for them. Nobody would fault them for going underground, and yet Paul doesn't call it affliction. He calls it a test of affliction because he knows in this moment it's an opportunity for the church to flourish. Because listen, <laughs> crisis always creates an opportunity for you to trust the Lord. Always. And I've seen, I've just been doing ministry long enough to see crisis moments be either where people retreat from the Lord, start to get bitter and harden their hearts against him, or they see it as a moment, and this is what God has wired you up to depend on him, that man, I gotta lean in more than ever and trust the Lord and his goodness and his sovereignty. Some of you need to hear that today. It's got nothing to do with Compassion Sunday, but you got a crisis right now and your instinct is to run. This crisis is an opportunity to draw close. And I promise you, I promise you, he will meet you where you are. Hebrews 3 tells us we can approach the throne of grace with confidence and find help in our time of need. All right, back into verse two. Two things, he says, converge in this moment of affliction. An abundance of joy and extreme poverty. And it's like they come together in a mixing bowl or something. Think of it that way. And they get, I don't, I don't know how to cook, okay, one day. Uh, but they get into, I, I can do something on a grill, but not just in the, the baking world, okay? So they come together, right? These two things come together, and then this chemical reaction happens, and what bubbles up is generosity. An abundance of poverty, extreme joy, and what bubbles up is generosity. There's a real beauty to this verse because Paul is reminding the Corinthians that your financial wealth is not the source of your abundance, in fact, these folks who were poor financially had abundance and they gave from it. Their poverty was not their identity. It was their situation. Jesus was their identity. And because of that, they had joy. And that joy mixed with the poverty experience that says we have learned, just like the Apostle Paul, to live with little and to be content with little. And I have this joy in Christ. And when these things get mixed together and it bubbles up in, hey, I want to give away to others. I recognize most of us in here aren't in that situation of extreme poverty. Let's talk about the heart for a second, though. The gospel says all our best deeds, all our wealth, not, this is such a good message for us in the American church. All our deeds, all our wealth, none of it can save us from our sin. Now, look, it's not that our deeds or our wealth are bad things. Some of y'all, God is giving the capacity and ability to build wealth. Praise God for that. The, the Lord nowhere says that money is a bad thing. The love of money, on the other hand, is a real, a real issue with the Lord. And he talks about it a whole lot. It's not a bad thing to, grow, to be successful, to be the best in your field, in the whole world, to really grow in deeds and in wealth. No, that's not a bad thing. But listen, neither one of those, if you're doing those, because the Lord is about your heart. He's not about your money. He's not about your performance. He's about the heart right? Neither one of these are going to cover your sin. They're not going to save you from your sin. And when you're doing these in order to be, to earn love from God or to cover up 
for some past sin. It's not going to work. But the gospel says Christ comes and pays our debt for us, forgives us, and he doesn't just forgive us. He adopts us. He brings us home, gives us the inheritance of the one who owns the world. We got perfect love poured out on us. Eternity secured with the Father. We who had nothing now have everything. Everything that creates when you get to know that, y'all. That's why we talk about it every week. That's why our first and core ministry value is we keep the gospel at the center of all we do. Because when you start to get that, that creates joy. It creates joy. Joy deep in the soul that no circumstance can shake. So what happens? Poverty is our situation in the soul. Joy is our experience in Christ. Those two things collide. What should end up happening? This is how you know that you understand the gospel because you understand your situation. You understand that joy. And what bubbles up is generosity. It's joy that bubbles up in giving to others. It's been my great joy to visit churches in poverty. I was thinking about this this week. It's one of those like, oh man, I didn't realize I'd done all this. So you start to like, look back and, and think about it. And I've gotten to visit churches in poverty all around the world. Um, China, Afghanistan, Cuba, India, the DR, um, several places. And every time I sit with these churches, they definitely have less than we do, just stuff-wise, all right? But I get embarrassed because despite having so much less, almost always, they seem to have more joy than I do. I mean, we Cuban missionaries, this is four or five years ago now, when we were down there, Cuban missionaries who came into the city planning to just fast for the five-day mission trip they were doing into the city where we were going around and sharing the gospel because they just didn't have any food. They're like, I don't have any food, not going to get any food, so we'll just fast and work 12-hour days walking around sharing the gospel. But we have joy. We have the joy of Christ, and that's enough. The girls in the Uhuru Academy just outside of Nairobi, small schoolhouse, and yet their staff and the girls there are filled with the joy of the Lord. The underground church in Afghanistan, in China, the pastors in rural India, filled with joy. Why? Because they got the hope of the gospel and they know joy is not conditional to circumstance. The world says it is, y'all. The world, I mean, reinforces so hard that joy is based on circumstance. So the more stuff you can accrue, the more you can get, the more comfort you can secure, the more joy you will have. But even the world, even the non-Christian world will tell you that that's, that's actually a lie. Like it'll preach it and then tell you, Biggie taught us a long time ago, the more money you have, the more problems you're gonna have, right? That is an American philosopher, for sure. Christopher Wallace. Man, we know that. In fact, comfort is one of the most dangerous enemies of joy. Side note, by the way, don't be surprised that when you sponsor a child, as you build a relationship with that child and he or she comes to know Jesus, don't be surprised if they end up encouraging you more than you do them. You might feed their bellies, but I promise you their joy in Christ is gonna feed your soul. Paul keeps bragging, keeps bragging, verse three, on these Northern Greek churches, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Now, obviously, it wasn't a huge amount of money. They didn't have that. But it was an overflowing amount for them. I want you to see this in case you think today is me trying to get you to pry your wallet open or something. No. God's always after your heart. That's why so many examples in Scripture are not about the amount, but about the heart of the one giving. Not under compulsion, though. Look what he says, verse 4. Begging us, they gave beyond their means of their own accord, 
begging us earnestly for the favor, begging them for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Paul coming to them and asking them to help um, financially aid the church in Jerusalem. They're like, thank you, Paul, for the favor of asking us to give. A privilege, because they saw what the moment really was. A chance for them to do for someone else what Christ had done for them. By giving away some of themselves, by becoming a little poorer, others could be relieved from the poverty they were in. This is a visible demonstration of the gospel. Releasing others from poverty is a privilege, not a duty. Now here comes the second most important verse in the passage. The most important one's the last verse. So the second one, verse five. And this, Paul says, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. The order is everything. First thing they did, once they opened their, they opened their hands and said, God, everything I have is a gift from you. It's yours. And this is huge for some of us. As long as you think what you have is yours, giving it away is going to be really hard. Really hard. Remember last week we talked about Moses and he had this staff and then Moses saw what the Lord could do with his staff and quickly realized that the staff was never even his to begin with. It was God's staff, not Moses' staff. And everything else Moses had was God's stuff. I didn't even think about staff stuff, how close that is. But everything he had was not his stuff. It was God's stuff. And everything you have is not it's not your stuff. It's God's stuff. You might give, if, until you get that, you might give out of your excess. You'll never give as a sacrifice, and you'll struggle to find joy. You'll struggle to find joy in giving. But when you give yourself to the Lord, acknowledging everything I got is from him anyways, my talent, my wealth, my time, my friends, my help, it's all God's. When you believe the gospel like that, submit your everything, let, submit under his authority, he gets to be the new head of your life, then you start to find joy. But I'm telling you, it's hard because we feel a fierce independence and we just don't want to be told what to do, especially with our stuff. I mean, think about this, y'all. I have never met a parent that has tried to teach their two-year-old the word mine. And yet all of them know it, don't they? Like all of them. And even before, like even before they can speak, if you try to take something away from a nine-month-old, 10-month-old. They don't give you this look in their eyes and said, thank you for the favor of letting me give that to you, mother, father. I'm so grateful to be able to give that to you so you can have. No, they turn into little rage monsters, right? And they're screaming and kicking because it's mine. It's all of us. Mine is just a, a word to express our natural feelings of selfishness. But when you start to realize, no, everything I have belongs to God. And the best thing for me then, if I'm created in the image of God, and I'm created to bring glory to God, then the best thing for me on earth will be, how can I deploy these resources for God's glory and not mine? Then you'll find joy. The Macedonians recommitted themselves to the Lord. And then with open hands said, all right, Lord, what do you want with this? What do you want with our stuff? Opportunity came, they moved on it. That doesn't mean every opportunity, all right? But it means that when they saw an opportunity, they were excited and joyful to demonstrate the gospel to others. I think about, man, my wife is awesome, all right? And I say that for many different ways. But one of the ways is um, we get requests, like as a family, to support missionaries. And she's just kind of trained me up in this, and I love it now because I just kind of 
had this, I didn't realize it, such an idol of greed and money, and money meant security, and security meant okay, instead of everything belongs to the Lord. But over the years, man, we've had the opportunity to support missionaries, and now we're at the point where we love when people ask us if we can give to the mission that God has called them to. Do we get to give to every one of them? No, but we love it. We get excited about the opportunity. What is God doing around the world, and might we be able to get in on that? Man, that heart is what I want for us as a church as well. Verse 6, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I love even the word of it. Act of grace. Grace is in your heart. This is what it looks like in action. Verse 9, forward to verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the most important verse. It's the gospel in a verse. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's his grace? He was rich. How? Well, I would give you Philippians 2 if you want to do further study on it. He has, he's with God the Father, he had everything, and yet he became poor. How? Several layers to that. First, he came and took on human form, and the human body just ain't what the redeemed, glorified body is going to be, okay? All the creaks in my knees are enough to tell me that. But then he was born into relative poverty. He was the son of a carpenter. Then he became poor as a wandering teacher with nowhere to lay his head. Then he became poor as a falsely convicted criminal. Then he became poor even in his own blood. He emptied himself, paid our debt with his blood, dying a humiliating criminal's death on a cross for us so that through his poverty, we who had no chance to be with the Father by believing in what he has done for us, we can have everything. We can be saved. Christ looked at our poverty, and it wasn't his obligation to relieve our poverty. It was his privilege. It was his joy to become poor so that we might become rich. Have you ever given yourself to the Lord, received his gift of generosity for you? I want you to take any other step before you take that one, because that's what we're, this, this act of grace we're talking about today, you need to consider the grace of the Lord if you never have. Today's just an opportunity. It's a moment where I feel like we're where the Corinthians were, some believers in need of help, reaching their community or asking for help, and we should respond. And I think it's a great demonstration of the gospel, but it's just one opportunity. Plenty of other ways that we can obey this, of course. This is a clearly marked next step. In fact, I think doing this kind of next step laid out for us like this will be a catalyst to inspire you to all other kinds of generosity, even to caring for the poor right here in Charlotte because your heart's gonna be set on fire, I think, through the experience of releasing others from poverty just as God has released you. We're helping the gospel go forward today in Kenya through sponsoring children to be in compassion programs. Next week, we're hosting a Bridges Out of Poverty training to talk about how this local church, Mercy Church, has the privilege to bring the love of Jesus to those in poverty right here in Charlotte. These are not at odds with each other. That's because generosity is contagious. Once God lights that fire in your heart, opportunities become like logs on the flame. More chances to bring the love of Christ to more people. Now, I told you that I wanted to finish our time today letting you hear from someone who has firsthand experience in the program in the area where we are focusing our efforts. 
Her name is Cecilia Namwanda. Now, as I said earlier, she's from Kenya. I want to read you a little of her bio before I bring her up here. It's really impressive. Um, Cecilia is a geophysicist research assistant at the Center for Earthquake Research and Information at the University of Memphis, where she recently completed her PhD in geophysics. Before completing her doctoral degree in Memphis, she earned diplomas in basic physics and earth system physics from the International Center for Theoretical Physics in Trieste, Italy. Girl. Previously, she helped pioneer Nairobi University's Physics Students Association. She co-founded the Kenya Women in Physics Association, which addresses the challenges facing female physicists in Kenya and encourages the younger women um, in Kenya to pursue the sciences. Man, she is passionate about scientific discovery, inciting the spark of knowledge in young people. She loves Jesus, loves what this program is able to do, and is a huge advocate, of course, for it. So, Cecilia, let me bring you up as I do. Will you welcome the smartest person to ever come on stage at Mercy Church? Hey, welcome. We're glad you're here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. All right. So I got just a couple of questions really designed to help you just share a little bit of um, your heart, really. So tell us about life. We, of course, you know that um, Alan, one of our own, grew up in Nairobi. But tell us about your life growing up in Kenya. Wow. (laughs) Thank you so much. Really briefly. You know, just your... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll try. (laughs) Well, uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to have me here today. Of course. For me, being here is just a testimony of what God can do and how God can change our stories. My story would have been different, but I'm grateful that I'm here today because God is a God of chances, second chances, and God gives opportunities even to those who don't think they can have a chance. So, that's good. I grew up in Kenya, so I'm so glad to be, I, I feel at home. I'm so glad to be here today. And um, I grew up in Kenya, in a village in Western Kenya. So you'll be planting a church in the CBD, which is like Nairobi, the heart of the city. Uh, I grew up in the village, so a few hours away from the city. Um, I come from a large family of initially 10 children. And um, we lived in... uh, Uh, one room. (laughs) I would like to describe that for you. So our house was basically made of mud. The walls were made of mud. The roof was made of grass. So anytime it rained, uh, my dad had to keep adding grass to the roof so we don't get soaked in. And um, uh, growing up, uh, I didn't have shoes. So I would walk in the mud when it rains and I had all these kind of diseases because of that. And um, to add on to that, my parents didn't have a source of income, so what they did was subsistence farming, which means they grew things on the farm. If anything grew on the farm, then we had food. If nothing grew on the farm, then there was no food. So there were times where there was food, there were times where there was no food. And um, as you wake up in the morning, you know you're going to have coffee, you decide, is it decaf or not decaf? But <laughs> we didn't have that. And it was just, you'd wake up and you didn't know if you're going to have a meal that day. And um, to add on to that, my parents never went to school, so they did not see the need to put any of us in school. And 
uh, would wake up in the morning, other kids are going to school, and you wonder why we are not going to school, you know. And um, also to add on to that, my parents were also alcoholics. Mm. So uh, many days they would disappear from home. Uh, they would go drinking somewhere. We would not know where they were. And when they came back home, it was all fighting and violence back home. So growing up in that environment was hard because there was no one to look up to. And um, I really desired a different kind of life. I wanted to go to school. I wanted our lives to be different. And anytime you'd wake up, you wonder, where are our parents today? Mm. You know? And then you'd hear them from a distance, because when they were coming back, you would actually know that they were coming. And um, our home was known for that reason. Our parents were never there. They were always drunk most of the time. And I pray that God would change that story, would change our family. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Yeah. Growing up in that environment, I did not think about tomorrow because there was no tomorrow for me. I did not think that I would ever amount to anything. But I'm grateful to God because, as I said, God changes the stories of our lives. That's right. That's so right. one day... Um, my uncle came home, uh, my mother's brother, and he said he was going to help my mom. And how was he going to do that? He said, I'm going to take one of your children. I'm going to go with this child to Nairobi, and I'm going to put this child in school. And I hope that one day this child will come back and change this family. So you can guess which child he picked, right? <laughs> So where I come from, names are very important. So he picked me because I was named after his mother, my grandmother. I shared a middle name with my grandmother, and that's why he took me mm. to Nairobi. So that was my life mm. before compassion. Wow. Mm -hmm. Tell me how, um, first of all, thank you so much for sharing. Like, that's the deep details of your life, and I know we're grateful to, to hear it. Um, how has compassion changed your life? Well, um, so when my uncle took me to Nairobi, he went with me specifically to put me in school. So he did put me in school, but he could not keep me in school. <laughs> because, uh, believe it or not, like, it was not free. Even though they say that education is free in Kenya, it's not free. So there's an amount of money that he had to pay for me to be able to stay in school. and. Uh, he could not afford to pay for me and my cousin. So most of the time I would go to school, then they would send me home to go get the money. I'm going home, I know there's no money. So I go home, stay for a few days, go back to school again. Uh, they say, you've not finished paying, go back home, <laughs> look for the money. So that was me, back and forth, back and forth. And I really wanted to stay in school. So as you mentioned, Compassion International, partnering with the local churches and having, uh, employing social workers there, these social workers would then go to the schools and look for needy children. So one day they came to my school and my grade three teacher forwarded my name to the social workers and I got enrolled into the Compassion program around the age of nine and that is when my life began to change. I got wonderful sponsors, Bob and Colleen Staggs. They're from Ames, Iowa. Bob and Colleen Staggs changed my life. Wow. Their sponsorship ensured that 
I not only went to school, but I stayed in school. That I was not going back and forth, home and school, home and school, but I was able to stay in school. Whenever I got sick, I could get medical care. And I don't take this for granted because, as I mentioned, we initially 10 children. I lost two of my brothers to diseases that could have been prevented, but we wow. could not afford to go to a hospital. Wow. In Kenya, um, medical care is not free. You cannot just go to a hospital when you're sick and you get treated. If you do not have money up front, you will stay there until you can provide some money for you to be admitted. So that was it. If you can't afford it, then you cannot go there. And uh, one of my sisters died when my mom was giving birth to her at home because she could not afford to go to give birth in a hospital. So for me to be able to go to a hospital when I was sick was something that was really a big deal for me. And I'm grateful for their sponsorship because Bob and Colleen Staggs, as you said, this is a relationship that you develop with the child that you're going to sponsor today. They wrote letters to me, and those letters encouraged me a lot. And those letters are the reason that I'm standing here today. Because many times in my life, when I felt like that's a, that was it, I was going to give up because it was too much. But I had these letters from my sponsors speaking life to me, telling me that we love you. We are praying for you. We are here for you. I had never met my sponsors, because, I mean, America and Africa, too far apart. And I could not understand how someone so far away would care for someone like me, living in extreme poverty in a country that they don't even know, you know. So these letters of them encouraging me and telling me they loved me, these were words that nobody was speaking to me but they were speaking them to me. And I would take those letters and just lay them down and read them. And whenever I felt like giving up, I would read these letters and I would wake up and go on. So I'm so grateful for Bob and Colleen Staggs, for them encouraging me and helping me through the most difficult times in my life. And I'm so grateful because um, going to the Compassion Program Every Saturday, we would go to the compassion program. That's why we would play like kids, you know, and be children and not worry about so many things going on at home. And most of us would go to the project because there was food. I mean, that's where we would get good food for the week. If you are not eating at home the whole week, you know, if you go to the project on Saturday, you're going to get food. You're going to learn the word of God. You're going to play with other kids. And you are going to get a letter. If your sponsor wrote to you, they would call out names of the kids who had letters. And I was always in that group because my sponsors were always writing letters to me. And I'm so grateful because I gave my life to Christ because one of the social workers at the project shared with me the love of God. Mm. And that was the best decision I could have ever made in my life because I learned that I could pray that God would change my family that God would change the story of our family. And he did. Mm. My parents stopped drinking and they started going to church. And that was something I never thought would ever happen to our family. So those faces that you're seeing there on those sides, I was once a face on one of those packets when my sponsors heard about compassion and decided they were going to sponsor a boy. They were looking for a boy. And they went there, they picked a packet, yeah. they went with it home, 
And they're like, oh, this <laughs> the boy called Cecilia, no? <laughs> <laughs> but they say, uh, well, I had short hair, so to my defense. <laughs> but yeah, and they decided that they were going to sponsor me. They did not return that packet. And I have met my sponsors. Um, when I came to Memphis in 2011, they drove from Ames, Iowa to Memphis, Tennessee to come and visit me. And she brought me like winter stuff, heavy jacket. And it's never that cold in Memphis, but. <laughs> <laughs> they introduced me to a nice fried chicken place, which I didn't know, but I had been in Memphis for a while. But that was a chance for me to say thank you. Thank you for all that you have done for me. Thank you that even I right now can be a sponsor with compassion because I know what it means to be that child on that packet waiting for someone to pick you up and speak life to you and give you hope and to tell you that we are here for you and we are praying for you. Last year, uh, September, my father passed away. Mm. But I'm grateful to God because he did not pass away as a drunkard or as someone who didn't know the Lord. But through that process, God changed him and he was able to give his life to Christ. And that is one of the things that I'm most grateful for today. Were it not for compassion, I would not be here today. So thank you so much for giving me the time to be here and just to share with you that those children right there, they are stories too. And may God connect each one of them to a sponsor that will walk with them and give them that hope that they need to be a Cecilia one day. Thank you so much and God bless you. Amen. Woo. going to pray for Cecilia here in just a second. Uh, before we do that, I want to tell you, y'all, I just, um, as your pastor, I've been leading this church since we launched about seven years ago. I don't do this, all right? I, I don't do this a lot where we just say, hey, we're going to devote a whole day uh, to specifically a partner ministry. Uh, but I think, um, first of all, I also learned that I should have just let you up here about 40 minutes ago, and that would have been a lot better <laughs> use of our time. But um, but I just believe so much, and I think what you've heard Cecilia say, I just believe in what they're doing as a demonstration of the gospel. Um, and I, I've seen it top to bottom um, from being there uh, firsthand. I've seen, actually remember a little girl showing me her letters, and as you were saying that, I was like, oh my goodness. Um, I've seen it and um, believe in it so much. So what we're, the way we're gonna end our service at both of our campuses, um, we're not gonna end when I say uh, amen instead, what we're gonna do is our last 10 minutes of our service is actually gonna be time at both of our campuses for you to go and to take one of the um, packets that you see displayed. If you're here at Providence Road on the backs of a couple areas uh, in the back of the room at Northeast over on the side there. And we're going to, uh, and, and Joseph there, our campus director is gonna give instructions specifically on how to do it there. Uh, it's $38 a month to sponsor a child. I've been doing that for about four years. And like I say, the Shelton family is gonna be doing it a second go around um, today. 
And you can do that, um, again, whether that's through your credit card, through Apple Pay or whatever else you do. You're gonna be able to have any and all chance and it's all gonna be in this information. Cecilia uh, here at Providence Road will be in the back of the room along with our, um, uh, some others there that are gonna, some of our team that's gonna be uh, there with compassion, helping you figure out your next step. But we wanna do this today, all right? This is not a take this home because every day that we have these or that you take it home, uh, it costs Compassion 38 cents a day per kid uh, that we hang on to these. So we want to go ahead, and I don't want this on your to-do list. I want it on your completed list, all right? Uh, something that you've stepped into and taken a next step. Um, I'll explain more here at Providence Road and Joseph Will at Northeast. But let's, uh, together, let's pray for and thank the Lord for our sister, Cecilia. Father, what a gift to hear testimony of your grace. We are all, in Christ, testimonies of grace. And we thank you for our sister. Lord, I pray over her. I pray that you continue to bless her ministry. May thousands of more children come to know the Lord and be able to turn around and invest into their next generation. God, we pray that the gospel is multiplied through her life even more than it clearly already has been. May we be a church that experiences the love of Christ day in, day out, week in, week out, celebrates that love, and then responds in an overflow of generosity that comes out of what you have done for us. We love you, Father, and we thank you for our sister, and we pray your, pray your blessing on her life as she goes forward. In Christ's name, amen. 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 One more time, let's thank Cecilia for being here.